This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? It's definitely not Superman. So what is it? There is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. That was Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, assuring the American public on Monday that despite all the rumours circulating online, the unidentified flying objects, the UFOs, recently shot down over North America, were not out of this world. I don't think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these craft, period. I don't think there's any more that needs to be said there. So how did a story about possible spy balloons launched by China turn into a battle against a conspiracy theory? And how might White House comms on this issue end up undermining America's battle against a genuine threat? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist of The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. UFOs are never far away from uh, in American society and politics. Remember those uh, Navy uh, videos that, that they released in 2020? That's not on us, though, is it? It's not on us, dude. Well, the And then there was a big report on them in 21, these uh, strange, very fast-moving objects that have been spotted by Navy uh, fighter pilots. My colleague, Julian Borger, is The Guardian's world affairs editor. But they do have a new name. They're no longer UFOs. They are now unidentified anomalous phenomenon. He's been covering the American response since the start of February, when we first started hearing word that the Pentagon was monitoring a Chinese spy balloon. It seems like the U.S. military was tracking it all the way from uh, its launch point uh, in China and uh, had been watching it cross the Pacific, and they believe that it may have been blown off course. Uh, officials say it's possible that the balloon was just flown off, blown off its initial course by weather, but they insist the Chinese still had control of it as the balloon came south over the lower 48 states. That it wasn't deliberate flyover of, of you know, the continental U.S. And the first time the American public became aware of it, was on the 4th of February when it was hovering over Montana, which is, of course, home to some of uh, the U.S. arsenal of land-based uh, nuclear missiles. 
So that was when people began to get worried that this could actually be surveillance and sort of serious surveillance. But I mean, China has, and, and I'd be interested to know how seriously you take the, this denial. They have denied these claims and they say it was a weather balloon that was simply blown off course. I mean, you look at these things all the time. Is that on, on this range from plausible to laughably absurd? Where do you put that denial? More towards the laughably absurd because the stuff that was hanging off it, the uh, equipment that was uh, said to be about the size of a regional jet, didn't look like weather balloons, at least not uh, weather experts. And of course, you know, we will soon know because they have managed to salvage it uh, off the coast of uh, South Carolina and they're looking at it. So presumably there will be at some point in the next few days some kind of show and tell from the uh, Pentagon laying out what they think they found. All of this was made harder, I suppose, by the fact that the United States military and, and I suppose the White House too made the decision that the downing of this balloon should happen over water rather than over land to avoid the risk of falling debris. But despite that, you're telling us they have been able to retrieve it and analyse and see what the sort of hardware tells them. Yeah, they shot it uh, down just off the coast where the water is fairly shallow, just 50 feet. So for the Navy and Coast Guard, it wasn't a, a big ask to salvage it. And they said they've got pretty much all the electronics from the seabed. All of this has obviously had a, a huge diplomatic uh, impact because it came just as Antony Blinken, the US Secretary of State, was due to go to Beijing in an attempt to sort of warm up relations between the two countries and to discuss these tensions. Following a meeting with South Korea's foreign minister, the US Secretary of State was due to fly to Beijing. His talks with President Xi have now been postponed. You know, the meeting is cancelled because of tensions, the very subject of the proposed meeting. China's public statements and others have sort of said, look, there was no need to do that. That was an overreaction. And if anything, you know, the balloon episode has only shown uh, why such a meeting is important. Those who defend the White House decision, including, I suppose, the White House itself, what argument have, have they made that, you know, no, it was it was too important to allow a, a meeting between Blinken and his Chinese counterpart to go ahead? And what has been the sort of pushback to that? Well, their argument was that it would take up all the oxygen, that it would take up, you know, they had a, a very uh, dense agenda of things to talk about because uh, the US and China are at loggerheads over so many issues and uh, if Lincoln went uh, when the balloon was still up in the in the sky at that point um, if he'd gone then a something untoward could have happened in the attempt to shoot it down or you know when it was uh, shot down that would be the only thing that the two sides could talk about and that would be an opportunity wasted the pushback was uh, this is the exactly the time you should be going to Beijing because this is when you have leverage. They've been caught red-handed. This is the time to cut, make an example of it and use that leverage to the full extent. And was it Republicans who often like uh, attacking Biden for being soft on China? Was it Republicans and I suppose, you know, the, the talk show Fox News universe that where that argument might be made? Was it them saying it? Not only. Not only. There were a few old China hands who were saying, you know, from previous uh, democratic administrations who was saying this is the time to uh, 
take a, a strong hand and use this as uh, an example to get your leverage. Being tough on China is kind of bipartisan now. And I think that in particular contributed to Blinken's decision to put off the trip because the political pressure back home would have been such that it would have been difficult for him to look for compromises, look for resolutions to other problems. Forgive the sort of pun, but this didn't come out of a clear blue sky. There has been evidence that this has been a bit of a pattern, these uh, spy balloons being deployed by China over uh, the United States. Well, as far as I know, every Trump administration official who's been asked has said they didn't know anything about it. I will say this. Reports last week suggesting that Chinese surveillance balloons have been spotted three times or were spotted three times during the Trump administration. And I notice uh, the Biden administration couldn't uh, resist pointing out that the Trump administration didn't know that at the time. Happened once previously, it's thought, under Joe Biden, though in those cases escaped immediate detection. Uh, you know, there are other countries, Europe, UK and others, uh, Japan, thinking maybe we need to look at what's been going on here. I mean, all of this does seem a bit of a surprise, just partly because a, a big balloon in the sky seems such a basic, even primitive way of spying on another country. Where, where do giant spy balloons rank in terms of espionage kit? I mean, are they are they effective? Well, I've seen them described as a poor man's uh, spy satellite. And uh, by all accounts, and if you can get geostationary spy satellites that can just stay above one point on the Earth, then you can garner all the intelligence you need from those and you don't need balloons. Uh, and it's only because China doesn't have the kind of China, uh, spy satellites that the US does that it has to resort to these balloons. But I've also seen it argued that, A, we don't know their, their full capabilities. And they are, surprisingly, rather hard to spot by conventional, any kind of conventional uh, radar because of what they're, they're made of and their, their altitude. And for, the, for China, this is kind of necessary if they're going to have the same kind of global awareness, intelligence-wise, that the U.S. just takes for granted. And so... You know, as an asymmetric response to that, this is sort of the best that China has. And up to now, of course, it's got away with it. It's an interesting thought that actually a balloon in a way is a sign of weakness. It's a sign you don't have more high tech or more subtle options if you have to resort to putting a balloon in the air. Nevertheless, the, the Chinese did say that, the, that this was a mutual tactic, that the United States had itself sent 10 balloons illegally into Chinese airspace since last year. China has now accused the United States of flying high-altitude balloons over its Xinjiang and Tibet regions. Which brought an immediate denial from the White House. They said that any claim the US government operates surveillance balloons over the People's Republic of China is false. Nevertheless, it's absolutely clear in the way you just said, they, they really do keep an eye on China. They've got all kinds of tools for doing that. This is a whole battle, isn't it? It's kind of tit for tat because I remember people would, you know, jaws dropped when it emerged that China had stolen the designs for the American F-35 stealth fighter and hacked their way through or anyway got the files of 22 million Americans from, you know, US government database. So these two are really at it, aren't they? They are in determined to know as much about each other as they can 
whether it's balloons in the sky or all kinds of other methods. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a you know a front line in an ongoing intelligence war that is uh, heating up as events on the on the ground or in the sea are heating up, uh, and as to, you know the tension over Taiwan uh, grows, and uh, with the Philippines and the South China Sea, you know this intelligence war, the stakes behind it become all the higher. This though didn't bring the sort of an end to the whole subject. This one balloon, because of these three other unidentified anomalous phenomena, as you've taught us to say, these other objects over Michigan, Alaska, and a third that went into edged into Canadian airspace, all brought down the White House, saying these three objects have no communication signals or steering abilities and are much smaller than the Chinese surveillance balloon shot down in South Carolina nine days ago. At this point, people began to talk about a pattern, uh, that there was something else going on here. And of course, that's what started these rumours that always come when you start talking about UFOs or whatever we're now meant to call them, which is of aliens and extraterrestrials. Now, those objects that shot down, what on earth, Julian, could they have been? Well, uh, I mean, more recently, they are beginning to, we're seeing briefings suggesting they were, in fact, balloons and that they were uh, either commercial or they were research balloons. And uh, the word being used in the bright briefings that have been given over the last day or so has been benign. Pentagon officials have offered intriguing descriptions of the objects. One looked like a metallic drum. Another was cylindrical and carried a tethered payload. Another was octagonal in shape with strings attached. I sort of imagine that when they pierce the sea ice off the coast of uh, Alaska and go down with uh, their submersibles, they'll come across this uh, sunken balloon with the words Joe's Autos on the side of it or something like that. Or they were research balloons that have uh, been blown off course and a loss. We've heard a new phrase uh, in the last couple of days, uh, which is sky trash. Apparently there's lots of stuff, lots of uh, balloons uh, floating around from all the research projects gone by uh, and all these various sort of commercial balloons that have lost their way. And the reason why suddenly the air seemed to be full of unidentified objects was that they took the filters away from the kind of radars they use to watch the skies because there is all this noise in the system, this sky trash. So when, after the Chinese spy balloon so-called incident, they took that filter off and started to see all these objects up in the sky. Which makes sense, suddenly you are getting the Joe's Garage balloon because you previously would have filtered it out. Nevertheless, it was this trio of objects in the sky, coupled with, I suppose, the first one, that got the chatter going about extraterrestrials and aliens. And that was always going to happen. But I think it was sort of given extra legs when the general in charge, the commander of the Air Force's Northern Command, was asked um, during a news conference, you know, on Sunday, whether this could be a hint of, you know, extraterrestrial uh, sources for this for these objects. And he said, I haven't ruled out anything at this point. I mean, the minute he said that, that was going to set the hairs running. Why didn't he at that point, Julian, say, look, 
you know, it's not aliens. It's not aliens from outer space. Yes, I really don't know. There was something. I think it is just in the uh, military lexicon to say I'm not going to rule anything out when you know not much is known. And there was something about the tentative way they described these things to, at the beginning, saying uh, their object, and and you had John Kirby, the National Security Council spokesman, correcting himself when he said balloon at first. He said, no, they're objects. Because we have not yet been able to defi- definitively assess what these most recent objects are. They dis- were described as being cylindrical and then no obvious means of propulsion. We looked to see whether they were maneuvering or had any per- propulsion capabilities. We saw no signs of that. And we made sure to determine whether or not they were manned. They were not. Which made me and many others think, oh, maybe, you know, it's some kind of mystery propulsion that that they don't understand but they were just trying to describe things being blown around by the wind we did however assess that their altitudes were considerably lower than the chinese high altitude balloon and did pose a threat to civilian commercial air traffic but it made it sound much more mysterious than it turned out to be now i remember reporting amongst those who immerse themselves in conspiracy theory in america back a couple of decades ago, and then, before everyone was talking about stolen elections and the like, the thing that would always get people excited was you just had to mention Area 51 and Roswell. Hundreds of outsiders are descending on the remote Nevada desert near the military's mysterious Area 51 base. Just explain for people who are perhaps new to this why people are once again mentioning Roswell and Area 51 and saying this could be a modern-day echo of that episode and that incident well the thing the thing about roswell was that the uh, the idea was that there was some kind of crash of a flying saucer there and that the corpse of a an alien had been salvaged from the uh, wreckage and they were doing these experiments on it roswell was a a closed area and they were supposed to be doing all sorts of uh, uh, experiments on experimental flying machines, so so that created a sense of uh, of mystery and strange things were seen in in the air. And so this really this idea that uh, this flying saucer had crashed in the area entered the public consciousness, also sort of collective unconsciousness as well. And it, it you know it's a part of so many films it's almost it entered into law, although based on very little at all. And this is obviously part of the Nevada desert, and it was given fresh legs, wasn't it, when Barack Obama, after uh, his presidency, went on the James Corden show and said he had actually asked if uh, a lab really existed where they kept the aliens. Yeah, they did a little bit of research, and uh, uh, the answer was no. Uh, (laughs) So this just goes round and round, and it's given new impetus, I suspect, um, by what's happened. And I just wonder if, in a way, I mean, part of your job is is following geopolitics and it's fascinating that now we're in an era of tensions between superpowers in a way between the united states and china and the roswell incident in 1947 absolutely played into the then beginnings of the cold war and the rivalry between the united states and the soviet union i mean it does it's very tempting to think these sorts of fears and theories and scenarios are, are dreamed up in times of big geopolitical tension 
at the height of the Cold War was when you know, most of these was this kind of peak era for UFOs. And there are, you know, it is very tempting to draw that link, that there is a sense of uh, anxiety among people about about invasion, about cataclysmic things that, you know, that were going to happen that, that are out of their control. Uh, and that is true of nuclear war and is true of alien invasion. So the two kind of merged in the public uh, consciousness. And then, of course, here we are again in a time of heightened tensions with America's two great rivals, Russia and China. And there's all this talk about UFOs again. And, of course, it doesn't help that there are all these uh, things floating around in the sky, it turns out, that we didn't know about. And so at the center of it is this relationship between the United States and China. Yet, obviously, we said Anthony Blinken cancelled that trip. And there's talk that Anthony Blinken instead might meet his Chinese counterpart in the uh, Munich Security Conference, which is due to get underway as people hear this. So what do you think? Do you think this can be put back on track? Or do you think the balloon and all the talk around the balloon could blow the relationship off course? I think it can get back on track. Uh, if you remember back in 2001, the most kind of notable thing that happened in geopolitics before 9-11 was uh, a U.S. spy plane collided with a Chinese warplane and was forced to land on China. And there was a standoff over the fate of this uh, spy plane and its crew. The first step should be immediate access by our embassy personnel to our crew members. I am troubled by the lack of a timely Chinese response to our request for this access. And, uh, you know, it was thought that this would set uh, relations back years. And it didn't turn out to be the case because both sides realized that this is just the way of doing business. This is what both sides do to each other. They look at each other, scrutinize each other intently. Uh, so, no, I don't think uh, this will throw off the agenda. Uh, and the fact that they are have been able to rearrange a meeting between Blinken and Wang Yi uh, so quickly suggests that neither side wanted it to blow the agenda off course because there is so much at stake and there is so much to talk about. I think that I think people would definitely think that would be right about the Biden administration. I just think the other player in this drama is the United States Congress, specifically the House now in the hands of Republicans. You know, they have been you know, beating the drum, for example, about TikTok, which is, you know, a Chinese devised and owned um, social media platform, saying that's a national security risk. There are Republican politicians around the country, Texas, Florida, Arkansas, uh, and obviously in, uh, on Capitol Hill, who've even raised the idea of banning Chinese citizens from buying property in the United States. Given that context, is it going to be very difficult for Blinken, Biden, Democrats, the administration to, you know, put things back together again with China and try and get more of a dialogue going, given those noises off from the party that was the opposition, but is now, you know, in control of one half of Congress. It's always going to be difficult because they, no matter what Biden does, obviously, the, the uh, game plan for the Republicans is to go uh, after him being weak on uh, defense and security. But he has 
fair, a fairly tough record on China. He has Im- imposed restrictions on on uh, semiconductors and chips that are potentially crippling for um, much of Chinese industry. So he can point to having taken a very tough line. Uh, also on Taiwan, he has said on several occasions that the U.S. would defend Taiwan if attacked. To be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. Yes. Straying from the ambiguous, the official ambiguous position. So he can point to a fairly uh, tough record. I mean, they are going to go after him anyway, but at least in this case, he has something that he can point to. And the other thing is, of course, to the Republican front runner, as it stands for the next election, Donald Trump made a big thing about his ability to uh, uh, talk to Xi and his relationship with Xi. So it, it's not going to be entirely easy for the Republicans to go after Biden, uh, especially given that the majority of public opinion is to keep these uh, channels open and to talk to America's uh, adversaries and rivals. Julian, as you know, as a veteran of this podcast, we do always like to ask a what else question, something completely different from the conversation we've been having until now. Some competition uh, for that this week, because there's been lots going on, uh, including that 89-year-old California Senator Dianne Feinstein announced that she is not, after all, going to seek re-election. And we talked about this and the race to succeed her on the podcast a a few weeks back and we'll put a link to that episode in the show notes for this one so you can listen to that again the battle for california but more politics in on the domestic front because nikki haley who served as donald trump's ambassador to the united nations and previously as governor of south carolina is the first republican to jump in against donald trump in seeking the republican nomination Uh, for the White House in 2024. There's rumours that her fellow South Carolinian Senator, Republican Senator Tim Scott, is also going to uh, take on Trump for the Republican uh, nomination. We're obviously going to talk about them both, I think, a lot in the coming weeks. But it is interesting, and just to see these two candidates from that state of South Carolina, both uh, people of colour, they are people who, by definition, if you're throwing your hat in now, you're running against Trump. They're generationally much younger. I mean, will there be some anxiety at Mar-a-Lago, do you think, at seeing these two people, at least one official, but perhaps another jumping in to take on Trump himself? On balance, I think not. I think that the Trump camp will be encouraged by others entering the field because on balance, that favours him in a run against DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, the uh, Florida governor. The polls suggest among Republican voters that if there is a crowded field, then Trump is more likely to come away with a plurality. And a a tight field against uh, DeSantis is a tougher race for him. Yeah, that's exactly right. We talked um, last week about the timetable, the primary calendar, for the um, for the 2024 nomination, a crucial fact 
is that the on the Republican side, it's a winner-takes-all system. So even if you're getting only 31-32% of the vote, as long as the people behind you are fighting amongst themselves for the rest, you can sweep the board. And that is Donald Trump's game plan. So yeah, good point. Uh, that in a way, the more the merrier for him. Julian Borger, thank you for all of that. And thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Pleasure. And that is all from us for this week. Before I go, I wanted to tell you about another Guardian Live event coming up this spring. The former Guardian columnist, Gary Young, will be sitting down with Guardian writer Nesreen Malik in London on April the 17th, where the pair will discuss the key political moments that Gary's witnessed during a remarkable three-decade-long career as a journalist. Tickets are available now, and the event will be live-streamed as well. So to search for either online or in-person tickets, go to theguardian.com forward slash Gary Young dash live. Theguardian.com slash Gary Young dash live. Remember, Young has an E on the end. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens. The executive producer this week, Max Sanderson. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.